All right, ladies, welcome. Erev Shabbat, Erev Shabbat Hazon, Shabbat before Tisha B'Av. Uh, we cannot skip the parasha, however. The parasha is an important one, Devarim. It's a new book as well. And we need, uh, we need to say something on the parasha. And then maybe we'll be able to direct some comments towards the, uh, the upcoming fast. Hopefully they'll be canceled by the time it gets to us. We still have a few hours. Mashiach might come. Uh, sunset's late today. And then uh, I wouldn't mind eating on Sunday, to be honest with you. <laughs> so we're banking on that. <clears throat> so it's a new book. It's the final book. Could you believe it? Uh, we're in Devarim already. Time flies. <clears throat> and... Uh, just an overview of the Barim. The beginning of it, at least, is the uh, chastisement, the Musar, the rebuke that Moshe Rabbeinu delivers to the people. He gives this speech 36 days before he passes away. He passes away on Zayin Adar. This speech is given on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, which is a month and a few days uh, prior to his passing. And it's his last, uh, the last speech that he makes. And he reviews the history of the 40 years. And he reminds them all the mishaps and all the catastrophes and all the complaining and all the, you know, all the, uh, the problems that B'nai Sel went through, the sins, the crimes. He's giving them Musab. It's the last, uh, the last rebuke. Now, uh, just word, word to the wise. For all you, for all you uh, Hamash fans out there that are always looking for right, uh, proper books to use in order to enhance your knowledge of Hamash, I'd like to uh, provide you with some un, unsolicited advice. The Gaon Mevilna, Rabbi Eliyahu from Vilna wrote a sefer called Adderet Eliyahu. And although his comments throughout the Torah are remarkable, but when he gets to Devarim, they're on a different level. And you do yourself a big favor to read some of his comments that are, uh, we call it off the charts. That's how uh, special and wonderful and glamorous they are. I'd like to share uh, one of them with you this morning, which to me it's a game changer. I mean, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't know this until I saw the Gaon de Vilna, such a basic interpretation. And I'll venture to say that nobody in the room is going to know this, and it's a, it, it changes the whole way you look at something. So in this perasha, Moshe Rabbeinu is reviewing the history. If you have a homash in front of you, it's in Perek Aleph, we're going to start reading Pasuk 9. So Moshe is talking. Va'omar alechem ba'etahi. So I said to you at that time, Lemor saying, Lo lebadi says, I can't do it alone anymore. Why? Hashem Elohechem The Jewish people are multiplying so quickly. The Jewish people are so. Uh, 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 so great in number, like the stars in the sky. And it's no longer 
a one-man job. One man cannot handle this, this entire nation. So therefore he says, Echa esa lebadi. The word Echa. That's a, that's a word that haunts us. Whenever you hear the word Echa, we start to shake. Because we know that something, uh, something not good is coming. That's a, that's a word that usually introduces trouble. And there's no coincidence that the word Echa is in this week's Perasha, always the Perasha before we read Megillat Echa. And if you look at the Haftarah, you'll see that we choose a Haftarah that also has the word Echa in it. The prophet Yeshayah, when he rebukes the Jewish people at the time of the destruction, he says, Echa hayeta lezona. So you have the three Echas. You have the Echa of Moshe, Echa Esal Lebadi. How can I you know, hold and carry the burden of this nation? You have the Echa of the prophet Yeshayah, the Haftarah, Echa Eta Lezona. The Jewish people have become like Zonot, he says. That's a heavy word. And then the prophet Yirmiyah, when he says, Echa Yasheva Badad. How did the city of Jerusalem, that was such a metropolis, become desolate? Fine. But let's talk about Parashat Devarim for a minute. So therefore, since I said I can't do it alone anymore, I said, We need to get some, get some, some help over here. And we all know the help that Moshe Rabbeinu got. We learned it in Parashat Yitro. Sare alafim, sare me'ot, sare hamishim, sare asarot. I explain. You had Sarim. Sarim are, the way we learned it, managers or uh, officers that were in charge of a thousand people. That's called Sare Alafim. And then you have Sare Me'ot, officers that are in charge of a hundred, and Sare Hamishim, in charge of fifty, and in charge of ten. It's the way we learned it. I don't think anybody learned it any differently. And then they even made a math- mathematical computation for us. They said, well, if you have a manager of a thousand, and there's 600,000 people, so there's 600 of those uh, guys. 600 Sadeh Alafim, and then uh, you have Sadeh Me'ot, you have 6,000 of those, and then you have 12,000 Sadeh Hamishim, and then you have 60,000 Sadeh Asarot, just do the math. You're doing it in 600,000. Calculators, uh, you could use calculators in this class. Anyway, it's 78,600 people. A job that Moshe Rabbeinu was doing the day before alone. And now, as if he says, I need some help. So therefore, we're going to have what we call in business uh, management, uh, middle management, uh, lower management. Uh, and that's the way we understood it. And if you'd ask me, who's more uh, capable over here? If you want to talk about uh, who's more talented, who's more able, is it the Sare Alafim or is it the Sare Asarot? So you say the same. I wouldn't say the same. I'm not as smart as you, obviously. But I, I, would, I would have said that for a manager to take care of a thousand people, he has to be more qualified than somebody to take care of 10 people. Therefore, I would assume the Sare Alafim are the most. I mean, you have one that's managing a thousand. That's a responsibility. I mean, uh, I don't want to trivialize this, but the President of the United States is responsible for 250 million people. Therefore, the more people that are under you, the more 
uh, prestigious the job. And if I would assume that Sareh Alafim, and then, okay, if you can't take care of a thousand people, you're less qualified. Could you handle a hundred? I mean, I'm a teacher. If somebody would come and tell you, we'll give you a hundred kids in your class, I'd run for my life. That's, that's, that's too many kids in my class. I could handle ten. <laughs> Probably not more than that. You give me fifty, that's a lot. So therefore, I would say that the more people that were under them, the more qualified they are. And then you have the people that take care of 10. Okay, so that's a preschool teacher. You know, preschool teacher, the gun. Uh, 10 kids running around, okay, it's, it's possible. Not too many uh, diapers to change. So that's the way we always understood it. Until the Gaon the Vilna comes and turns everything upside down. Now you're thinking, what can he say? So I'm reading his opinion, not from Adir Tiliyahu. I have another sefer that I put on the recommended reading list, Haktav Kabbalah. And uh, it's not a book on Kabbalah at all. It's called Haktav Kabbalah. It's on the Hamisham Torah. So he writes like this. Sadeh Alafim, Vesadeh Me'ot, Vesadeh Hamishim, Vesadeh Asarot. Kol Arba'a Minim Ha'ele, he learns that these four categories of people were not all doing the same job. They were not just managers and middle managers and lower managers doing the same thing, just dividing it into less groups. No, each one of these uh, groups actually represent a different job and a different purpose and a different function. And together, with the alafim and the me'ot and the hamishim and the asarot, we can have a, a, a proper nation that's functioning correctly. I guess it, not everybody's a policeman. You need firemen, you need a mailman, you need a, uh, a, a, a government. Rabbi. Of course you need a rabbi, it goes without saying. But the point, I'm glad you recognize that. But, but the point is, you need, you, need, you need different people to run the nation. So he says, Umikol makom, kol min minasarim, hayano hitmanut miyuhad elav lebad. The sareh alafim were not doing the same job as the me'ot or the hamishim and the asarot. He says, Vizay, I'll tell you an example. Sareh alafim, they were in charge of the military. That's called Sadi Alafim. Not that you had one guy like we had one guy in charge of a thousand. No. One out of every thousand was to work for the department of military. They were put in the military department, the military wing of B'nai Israel. If you're, if you're creating a government, and you're creating a, uh, a functioning society, so who's going to run the, uh, the military? So therefore they say, okay, Sadeh Alafim, we need percentage, it's a percentage. The percentage of the people that ran the military was one in one of the thousand. It comes out to 600 people. Very good. Go handle that department. Now, the Sadeh Hamishim, or Sadeh Me'ot, what did they do? He says, but Sadeh Me'ot, the they're in charge of judging the people. I mean, you need a court system. You need, so therefore, one out of every hundred was tapped by Moshe to sit and in court. Not only in the courts of the monetary, 
but in, in all things to do with the nation. Right? In all civil cases, monetary cases, military cases. So you understand what's going on? The Sareh Alafim are not better than the Sareh Me'ot. I mean, who's better? Is, is the mailman better than the, uh, the, the, the policeman or the fireman? They're different jobs. We can't compare them. Sareh Alafim had their purpose and Sareh Me'ot had their purpose. Now, it makes beautiful sense to go on the Vilna says, because now we understand Pisukim. Remember two weeks ago we learned, or maybe not even two weeks ago, maybe it was last week, that when the Jewish people went out to war against Midian, and the purpose of going out to war was to take revenge for what Midian did by seducing the men with those uh, Midiani ladies, that old story over there, you remember it. And what happened, when they come back from the war, who do they bring back from the war with them? The girls! And Moshe Rabbeinu is livid. Moshe! gets upset. What are you doing? The whole purpose of this war was to get rid of these girls. Now you bring them back to the camp. And who does it say in the pursuit that Moshe got angry at? Moshe al alafim. What, what, what are you getting angry at Sadeh Alafim for? What did they do more than anybody else? But the Masus, he got angry at Sadeh Alafim. You know why? Because that's the military department. Things that are going to go wrong in the, in, in, in the army, you're going to address it to the group of people that were designated called Sadeh Alafim. And then it says in the same Pasuk, V'sadeh Me'ot. Well, listen, if the military did something wrong, we have to bring that to the courts. And we have to alert the courts, and therefore we have to get those that are charged in judging the people to know about this, uh, this military crime that was committed over here. And we're going to have to have their, uh, have their opinion. And that's why they're the only ones that are being addressed in this. I don't know how you learned it without this. Last week, I don't know what you do on Shabbat table, how you said over these Pesukim when you were trying to explain it to your three-year-olds. I don't know how you explained it. Now you can say, listen, the rabbi explained it this week, we're going back to Parashat Matot, and you give it to them over. I said, ladies, all I can do is teach to you to, in, in, and, and transfer the information, but I cannot transfer the euphoria that I get when I see these Hadushim. You know, some people are warm, some people are cold. That's an ad. I cannot, I cannot impress my feelings uh, to you. I can just give you the information. Now, when I hear these type of hadushim, I fall out of my chair. I'm going crazy from this. How can this be? It's unbelievable because it, the text now is explained to us. But most of our members in the slaves class are cool. And they just sit and they nod their heads. <laughs> as if what we just did is not something earth shattering. I, I commend your calmness. I, co- I commend your, uh, your, your ability to control yourself. I don't have that same restraint uh, that many of our members have. Anyway, the Pasuk then says, Umnam. Well, if we know what the Sareh Alafim wa, and we know what the Sareh Me'ot wa, then what are the Sareh Hamishim? Umnam Sareh Hamishim Hayumi Yuhadim Lilmod Torali Israel. They were the teachers. Look at that. That's a nice percentage. One out of 50 was tapped, Department of Education. 
Nothing to do. You need the Department of the Military, you need the Department of Justice, and you need the Department of Education. And they were assigned. And we refer to Sarah Hamishim in the Torah. We have a synonym for these people. They are always referred to in the Torah, Bechol Makom, as the Zekenim. Anytime you see in the Torah, Zekenim, Zekenim, you want to know which group they're part of? Sarah Hamishim. Now here the Gaon of Vilna will tell us, Vehem ha-me'ulim shebekulam. They are the best out of all the group. Now, as a teacher, I'm very happy that he said that. <laughs> I'll read it to you again. I'll read it to you again. Hem ha-me'uchadim lelamed Torah l'Yisrael. Okay, you need to do both. But the point is, but the point is that the government of says, listen, the teachers of Torah, the teachers of the, that means the morot and the morim, the government of says, that's the elite of Klai Yisrael. Uh, not the bankers and not the real estate moguls and not all the other, uh, you know, tzaddikim that are running around. The government of understands, oh, the creme de la creme, of our, uh, of our nation, this is the ones that study Torah. Now, of course, it's not reflected in their salaries, <laughs> as we know that. Uh, if you looked at their salaries, you'd think that they're, you know, the, the, the lowest on the totem pole in, the, in importance. There was once a teacher that um, he came to school in July and he was wearing a fur coat and he had earmuffs on. And the administrator said, uh, Rabbi, it's the middle of July, it's 95 degrees. Why are you wearing a fur coat and earmuffs? He said, oh, I'm sorry, my paycheck said January. I thought it was the winter. <laughs> so, so we know that the teachers are clearly, uh, they're underpaid and they're, if they get paid at all, uh, they get paid at all. So anyway, that's the government. And, and, and it works very nicely, he says. Those are the Zekinim, he says. And the Gemara in Hagigah, page 14, writes that why are they called Sareh Hamishim? It says, She yodeya lisa veliten Torah. That they have fluency and expertise in the five books. Well, wait. So if they have fluency in the five books, why are they called Sareh Hamishim? So the Gaon says, She yeshba Hamishim Parashiyot. If you count how many parashiyot we have in the Bible, there's 50. And therefore, what do you call somebody that's an expert in all 50? He's got the 50 parashiyot in his pocket. He has it on his, uh, the tips of his tongue. He has it on his fingertips. And therefore, they're called sarih hamishim. Now, I will bring you uh, my own two cents into this picture. God doesn't say this. But it explains something. The question that I was asked. If you look when Moshe Rabbeinu sends the spies, so it says, Kulam Anashim. They were Hashubim, these were men of, of prestige, of status. And uh, Rashid says, and the Balaturim brings it down, that they were actually Sareh Hamishim. And I always wondered, before I went to Gaon, 
Why did they get tapped? Why, why did Saddam, I mean, if you're tapping somebody to do such an important job, like spying out the land, shouldn't you take the Saddam Alafim, which clearly are more? So, no. He went to the group that are in charge of education. You need Tabidah Khanim to do this job over here. This is a job you need a, an intellect. You're going to go to spy out a land, he has to understand what he's doing, he has to understand. Military will not be called for a spy. We need the military after the spy, the, 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 es, the espionage is done, then we'll call the military. But we're not going to call the military to do the spy. Everybody has a job. The Tabidah Khamim, the Khamim understand exactly what to look for, what to see. And how does the Ba'alatulim know that they were Sadeh Hamishim? Because the Pasuk says, Rasheh B'nai Yisrael. They were the heads of B'nai Yisrael, Hemma. Rasheh B'nai Yisrael, Hemma. Now wait, B'nai Yisrael has many heads. Heads of this department, heads of that department. So he says, Rasheh B'nai Yisrael, Hemma. They are, Hemma. If you take the word Hemma, He, Mem, He. He is five, Mem is 40, He is five. Hemma is Gematria 50. Says the Ba'alaturim, Rasheh B'nai Yisrael, Hemma. From here we see they were Sadeh Hamishim. And it makes sense because who is part of that group? Yoshua Benun. Yoshua Benun is the top student of, uh, of, uh, of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe kibel Torah misinai umesara li Yoshua. And therefore, if Yoshua is not going to be part of the Sadeh Hamishim, if he's not going to be considered a Melamed and a, and a, and a Torah, uh, then nobody is. And now I understand also what the Ba'alaturim says. He says a remez and he doesn't explain himself. Says, when God, when Moshe Rabbeinu sent the spies, Shelah lecha anashim. Yes, send for yourself men. He says, if you take the last letters, Shelah lecha anashim. What's the last letter of Shelah? Lecha, chaf, anashim, mem. He says, sofet evot hacham. It's a woe, it's a big woe. And you read the Balaturim, Hakam, Hakam Mahomed. What was the Hakam doing over here? Why did the Hakam get involved over here? Because the Balaturim is hinting to us, these were the Hakamim, these were the Sadi Hamishim. That's their job, that's why they, they were given this position. Now we have one, one last group, and that is the Sadi Asarot. And what was their job? So their job was to be the policeman. That means after the courts make a ruling, you need enforcement. You need law and order. So therefore, who's going to keep the order? Now that's a lot of order. I mean, that means uh, they, they, uh, the police force to keep, I guess uh, Jews need a lot of... Uh, what should I say? Uh, enforcement in order to keep them in line. So you had a percentage of one out of every ten, they worked for the, for the police department. That's the way he understands it. Now with this, he answers, not the Ga'on, but the Ketav Kabbalah answers an amazing question. So how many people did you have doing all these jobs? If you take all the people together, like I told you before, Sadeh Alafim is 600, and then you have Sadeh Me'ot is uh, 6,000, and then you have Sadeh Hamishim, which is 12,000. Just a side point, why were there twice as many judges than there were scholars? 
more judges than, than teachers. Why is that? So the Gaon explains, because the courts are only opened in the day. You don't judge at night. But Talmud Torah is your man balayla. So therefore, to get the job done for the courts, you only have a half a day to do the job. You only work by day, so therefore you need double the amount of workforce. Whereas the Tabidah Khalim will study Torah, that's 24 hours a day, so therefore you can split it up properly. It's a nice answer to go on. And the Gemara says, how many people do you have all together? 78,600. Now usually when the Gemara gives a number, it's precise. But says the Gaon, and oh, the Tosafur asked this question as well, it's not a precise number. Why? Because if you're learning it like we learned it before we saw this Gaon, you'd say, Sareh Alafim, how many people is that? 600. 600, Sareh Alafim. Now when you're counting Sareh Me'ot, you're not counting Sareh Me'ot from the 600,000, it's 600,000 minus the 600. And then when you're counting Sareh uh, 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 um, Habishim, it's minus the 6,000 from Sareh Me'ot. And then you have to minus the 12,000 from Sareh. As you have to manage, you're not counting the same people twice. So therefore, the Gaon says the number is, is incorrect when they say 78,600. But if you learn that each one of these groups had a different job, so therefore we're counting everybody at all times. Each one served a different purpose. It wasn't just the manager of the same people that the other one was, just a thousand, a hundred. No, so therefore, when we're counting a percentage of the people, we're counting a percentage of the whole people to decide how many military people we need and how many education people we need and how many... Uh, 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 Enforcements, we need the judges. And therefore, we don't have to subtract the number from the, uh, from, 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 from the whole count. It's, a, it's, a, it's a unbelievable. Uh, uh, I don't see another way to answer this question. It's, 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 if you're learning that they were all doing the same job, so I'm counting everybody twice then. No. He says, you're not counting everybody twice. You're counting everybody for their role, if everybody's part of the whole, and that's the way it works. So that's, that's the first offering for today. This novel way to learn Sareh Alafim and Sareh Me'ot Hamishim and Asarot. Now let's get to the, uh, to the story part. You earned it. So, what does Moshe Rabbeinu tell the people? And I told you at that time, Lemor, say, I can't take it anymore. We've heard people say that. That's it. Not that he's resigning, but he's saying, uh, I need help. And then he says, okay, we have an idea. God told me to appoint the different departments. Now, ladies, I want to talk about a word in the Torah that's neglected. It's neglected because we just take it for granted because we see it so many times, the word. So therefore, we just assume that it's supposed to be there for whatever reason it is. It just belongs there. and It's like an invisible word that we assume if it's there, it fits, and leave it alone. And that's the word lemor. We see it all the time. Now, most lemors have a purpose and they fit. Some, sometimes they don't. And the ones that don't fit, you have to 
awaken your curiosity and say, hey, what's this Limor doing here? I'll give you an example. What's that mean? And God spoke to Moshe, Lemor means, and to, to say it over to the people. So it has, there's the Vaidaber, that's God talking to Moshe, and Lemor is that you should communicate whatever I just told you to the people, Lemor, to say to others. That's, that's the way one Lemor works. Um, over here, Moshe is talking. Moshe is giving history now. And there came a point where I told you, I told you, at that time, Lemor. I don't know what that Lemor is, but I know what Moshe Rabbeinu said. I said at that time, I can't do this alone anymore. I don't know what the Lemor is. To say it to who? To say it to the people? I'm saying it to the people. Again, Va'omar. What does Va'omar mean? And I said, well, if you're saying Va'omar, you don't have to say Lemor. Va'omar is saying, and I said this to the people. That word Lemor over there is problematic. So, not my question. Rashi asked this question. So Rashi says, Mahu Lemor. Doesn't, doesn't fit. Amar lehem Moshe. So Rashi says, I'll tell you what it is. Lo me'atzmi ani omer lachem. What do you think? This idea to divide the nation in these different groups and different jobs, it's not coming from me. I was told from God, Lemor, to tell it to you. So the Lemor is coming to say that I was told to tell this over to you from somebody else, from God himself. Don't think that this was my idea. And that's a very important point because everybody thinks it was Yitro's idea. Yes, it was his idea, but Moshe is not going to change the whole structure of B'nai Israel because his father-in-law has a good idea. You know, father-in-laws always have good ideas. <laughs> mother-in-laws even have better ideas. But the point is, if we're going to take every advice that the mother-in-law gave us over life and father-in-law, then uh, you know what I mean. But the point is, the point is, exactly, you throw very nice. But I got to ask God. So don't think that he did this because Yitro told him. Yitro maybe uh, uh, aroused him to the problem. But then he says, I have to go ask God. I don't work for Yitro, I work for God. So the Pasuk is coming look the same. I was told to tell this over to you from someone else. That's the way that she learns. Good? But I'd like to tell you the way the Meshech Chochmah, Meir Simchat Kohen, Medivinsk. He says something that is... So beautiful. We're not allowed to listen to music during the nine days. It's not for me, is it? So it says over here, Meshach Chachmah says something amazing. And it goes back to what we said in the beginning about the word Echa. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Echa Esa Lebadi. How can I do this alone? Tarhachem, Asachem, Libechem. It's just too, it's too much. It's too heavy. This, this nation has become uh, too uh, 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 laborious for, for one man to take care of this, uh, this job over here. Now, it sounds like, at least when you read it, that this Echa 
is similar to the other echaz. It's almost as if whenever you see the word echa, something negative is coming. Echa haitan zona. The prophets call Ben Israel as a zona that has veered off the, the path. Or you have Echaya uh, Sheva Badad, where the prophet Yeremiah say, the nation that was so uh, f- popular now became alone. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, oh, says ah, how can I do this job alone? Not that he's quitting, but... So the question is, is this Echa like the other ones? And the Meshach Ochmah says, absolutely not. And he gives a mashal. He gives a mashal, which is a beautiful mashal. You know that there's a, 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 a rule that says in Mishnah Perkei Avot, Marben Nechassim, Marben De'aga. You know what that means? The more stuff you have, the more worries you have. Uh, you know, the more you collect over, over time, everything that you collect in, in stuff, in materialistic things, is just another item that you have to worry about. It's another item that breaks. It's another item that you have to maintain. It's another item that you have to charge. It's another item that you lose. It just, you know, the, the more stuff we get over the course of time, every stuff brings stress. Uh, and as you get older and you collect more stuff and your family starts to grow, so things become more hectic. And more kids, more children running around, breaking things, and more noise, and uh, etc. I don't have to say more families living together in, in the same house. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, you want to call it controlled chaos, not controlled chaos, whatever you want to call it. But that's the way it is. Now, if I was talking to somebody, after I give you that whole scenario, you know what I would tell them? I would say, and I wish that to you as well. I wish that to you. <laughs> because that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Which means, uh, what's the alternative? Have no assets. You don't have to worry about taking any clothes to the cleaners because you have no cleaners. You don't have to worry about your car breaking down because you have no car. You don't have to worry about any noise of the grand truth because we have nothing. Is, is that a blessing? Of course not. So although marbe de chasim, marbe de aga, or marbe, as families get bigger, there's more things that go on. It becomes obviously much more difficult, much easier uh, when the lady was cooking for her six children and now she has to cook for 60 grandchildren and all of a sudden every, every dinner becomes a, you know, a but ultimately, what would we tell somebody? It's a good problem, you should, you should, you should have this problem. <laughs> you should have this, uh, this commotion. This is good commotion. It's a miracle. The alternative is not, not good. <coughs> and therefore, what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying over here is the same thing. When he's saying, Lo uchal, that I, I can't do it anymore, it's not because he's complaining and he's saying the people are too different. It's just that, Baruch Hashem, you're getting so big. Hashem has multiplied you like the stars. And therefore, what, what, what one man was able to do, one man cannot run this family anymore. It's like a lady tells her husband, I need more help in the house. It's too much, uh, the house is too big. That's a beracha. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. He said, listen, a person comes along and he has a business. And he's running the business, mom and pop shop, him and his wife are running a business. And all of a sudden, the business starts to get bigger. And somebody says, listen, you need to hire people now. So, where am I going to find people? That's a good problem. What do you think? That's an indication that you're growing. It's a growth. And therefore, the Meshach Ochmah learns that Moshe Rabbeinu says, 
ואומר עליכם בעת ההיא, at that time I said, למוד that you should say one day, איכה אשא או לא אוכל לבדי. You should say what I'm saying. למוד, it should be your blessing. That one day your family should grow to such levels that you will also say what I'm saying. לא אוכל לבדי שאת. That one day you'll be so busy that you're going to have to make more help and you're going to need more... tables at the dining room table, or chairs at the dining room table, and your order for food is going to triple because you have to feed more mouths, and you're going to have to make a bigger house, and you have to make an extension, and you're going to come along and say, Lo uchal, I cannot. That's the blessing of Moshe. Again, Va'omar alechem ba'eta, you know what I told you? Lemor, that you should say. One day you should say what I'm telling you now. You should reach the levels of success that you will say, Lo uchal libadi se'etetchem. And once you get to that level of saying, that means what? You've expanded. Very simple mashal. When you hear people that are rumbling in the shul, and they're saying, there's no room in this place. We don't have a place to learn. We don't have... Baruch Hashem. We've gotten to that, that complaint. That means you're telling us that you can't, you can't handle it because the space is too big or too small or too confined. That means you want to you expand the place. That's a berakha. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the people. So this Echa Esal Lebadi is not a bad thing at all. This Echa Esal Lebadi is something that is positive. Not, not as positive as the others, obviously. And this is where the Maharal comes in. The Maharal says that Echa is not a, a positive word or a negative word. Echa, it all depends on the context that you're using the word Echa. Let me define Echa in a, in a more general way. When somebody is surprised or somebody sees something that's remarkable, you say, wow, how, where did this come from? How is this possible? It, it, it's a sign of um, when a person is surprised. A person's overwhelmed. Now, it depends what he's looking at. Is he overwhelmed at something good? Or you can be overwhelmed at something, something bad, God forbid. It's the same word. When you're talking about the Jewish people, no matter what we're doing, it's always something incredible and great. <laughs> it just depends what we're doing at that time. But the Jews are always up to something that turns heads and causes people to say, Wow! If you come to our, uh, our synagogues on a Shabbat, you say, wow, look at this, where do all these people come from? And you start to see how many classes, and you start to see the Torah, and you start to see all the, you know, the, the level, men, women, children, and the, 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 the development of it. You say, wow, where did this come from? You start to remember this, where we came from. You say, where we are today? That's great. But then you look at, the, you know, you look at Jews, You go to Hollywood, you say, <laughs> All the Jewish producers and the movies, and you say, well, you say how did the Jews fall to, this, fall to this level over here? We're always up to something uh, major. The question is, is it majorly good or is it majorly bad? And therefore, I guess the goal is that we, we have the Echa of Moshe. That's a sign of movement. That's a sign of Of, of, of that we're going in the right direction. But other times, it's, it's negative. 
There's an old question that they ask. The question they ask is, in the Megillat Echad that we're going to read on Motzei Shabbat, probably, or maybe, it's a prophecy. It's written by Yirmiyah. Whether it's prophecy or Ruach HaKodesh, don't hold me by that. It's a, it's a, it's a technical question because Echad is not part of the Nevi'im, it's part of the Ketuvim. So if it's part of Ketuvim, it's probably more Ruach HaKodesh than it is Nevu'ah. Nevu'ah is limited for the book of the Nevi'im, Tanakh. There's Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. Echa is in Ketuvim. It's probably a communication that's done through Ruach HaKodesh. I'm not an expert on either, obviously. But I know one thing. To get Ruach HaKodesh, you need to be in a state of mind of happiness. And Hashikina Shora Ela Al Mishu Sameah. That's a rule. Yaakov Abinu, because he was saddened when his son Yosef was missing. For 22 years, he had no communication with God. Not because he fell religiously, because he was not in the right frame of mind to receive Ruach HaKodesh. It needs a frame of mind of Simcha. Don't you know the prophets, many times before they would get prophecy, they would play music in order to lift their spirits by He came again, Hamin again. The prophet Elisha. They would play music in front of him, and then they would, uh, he would uh, rise to prophecy or to Ruach HaKodesh. So you need to be in the mood. You know, a prophecy needs, it's a mood. You know, we say, I'm not in the mood. Okay, not in the mood. <laughs> so you have to be in the mood for prophecy. And what's the mood? Happiness. So they all ask. Yirmiyah lived at the most miserable time, and he's prophesizing doom and destruction. Well, how did he get the prophecy if it's such a worst time, terrible times? It's a catch-22. How could the prophecy of doom and destruction have ever been delivered as a prophecy if you have to be b'simcha when you're delivering it and when you're receiving it? And it's a catch because you can't be b'simcha because the prophecy is so miserable. And even if they played a couple of, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, scores of, uh, of Mozart or Bach, you can't, you can't uh, whitewash away this, this terrible prophecy. So there's a deep answer to this question. It's a deep answer. It takes a little uh, 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 redefining of terms. Uh, as you get older, you have to redefine the terminologies and not rely on the way you learned it in third grade. So when they told you Simha, so Subhaz, Bozo the Clown, the Circus, Cotton Candy, uh, somebody that smiles all day long, oh, that's Subhaz, that lady's always been Subhaz, she always has a smile on her face. And then they told you Subhaz, uh, giddy and happy, whatever, whatever the image they showed you, a guy with smiley face, uh, 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 laughing, that's the way they always told us Subhaz. Therefore, if you saw somebody sitting seriously, so it's a uh, poor guy, you know, what's wrong with him? What's up with him? What does he have, you know, who died? Because we always look at somebody who's not smiling, cannot be misamah, juvenile interpretations. You get a little older, you start to realize that samha is not necessarily manifest in how many teeth you're exposing 
uh, at any given moment of the day. Simcha is a state of mind where a person is living according to a certain purpose. A person is living with a certain uh, goal. I would venture, venture to say that when you see a, a busy mother running around after children and cooking dinner, although it doesn't look like the most simha moment, but there's simha in that mother's heart because she's living according to a purpose. There's a function, get the house ready, prepare dinner, raising families, this is something we have a goal. So therefore, a lady, I think, may, may, may misuse the word when she says, I'm not happy. No, no, you might be overwhelmed. Which is okay. It might be too much work for one person to do, but you shouldn't say you're depressed because why are you depressed? You're doing something that's so 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 majestic, so special, so noble. Samha is what you do. You come to the Beit Midrash. You see these great rabbis pouring over these books with small letters, and their brain is sweating, and they're trying to figure out what's being said, and they have the most serious face on. <laughs> Take my word. There's ecstasy in that room. Nothing short than ecstasy. Now you don't see it. Nobody's uh, doing the horror. They're not jumping around dancing. But so what? That's a different expression of simcha when you're dancing. But the simcha also is living according to a, a purpose and a goal. And sometimes we study the most complicated gemariyot where our head is uh, spinning. But inside there's a certain calmness and a certain simcha. That's new definition. So, and, and, and by the way, and therefore once, once you have this definition, it's possible that the person with the serious face is bismha, and the person with the smiley face might not be bismha. And then, when, then he turned it all over again. It's the one, it's the one that's, uh, you know, giddy and smiling and running around and making a lot of bubbly noise. That's the one that needs therapy. So what does she need therapy? She's the happiest one. <laughs> it's a good facade. But when, when Subha starts to count, they don't have anything. They're empty and hollow inside. It's a new definition. Now, ladies, don't be, that doesn't mean you can't smile now. Because they say, oh, if I smile, the rabbi's going to become depressed. No, it's okay to smile also. I'm not saying you can't smile. I'm just saying that that's not the, doesn't end there. I only have a few minutes left, although it's a long talk. But I'm going to cut it short because uh, we have to eat for the fast. So we have over here Tisha B'Av, this day that's coming. Or it's really not Tisha B'Av, it's the 10th of Av that's coming. Because we pushed it off. Strange day because there is no... Uh, Supplications on Tisha B'Av. I'm not going to confuse you with supplications. These complicated words. The prayers of Tisha B'Av follow prayers of a holiday. Let's put it that way. Which we wouldn't expect that when you finish the Amidah, we treat it like it's a holiday. We don't go into confessions and uh, things like that. We go into you know, other parts, but confessions are left out, which treats it like a holiday. And everybody questions that. Why are you treating it like a holiday? It's not, maybe one day it'll be a holiday. Unless you tell me, no, Rabbi, listen, it's not a holiday today, but 
you know, it's on the uh, future. If that's the answer, and I accept. But they say, if you look at Megillat Echa, again, the, 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 what we're reading, it says, Kana alay mo'ed. The prophet says, and God has called the Sha'abi'ab for the people a mo'ed, a festival. So the Navi calls it a festival. I don't know what type of festival this is. <laughs> Some festival, can't eat, can't drink, no cotton candy, can't even wear shoes. Can't do nothing. Oh, some festival. It's a great carnival. It's a haunted house. What, 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 kind, of, what, kind, of, what kind of festivals is over here? And the rabbis explain, well, Mo'ed really doesn't mean festival. That's a, that's a, that's a loose translation. Mo'ed actually comes from the word Va'ad. Now, Va'ad is a meeting. Your house should be a meeting place for Hakamim, Va'ad. And the reason why we call the festivals Mo'adim, Ohel Mo'ed. Remember in the Mishkan? What is Ohel Mo'ed? The tent of meeting. It's a meeting. The reason why we call the festivals Mo'ed because God comes to meet us on those days. He meets us. God, God when, when the Jewish people are celebrating, God celebrates with us. So therefore it's a Mo'ed. Listen, when we're working, God says, you're busy, uh, I'll meet you on the holiday, I don't want to bother you during the work time. You go work for it, take a day off, Pesach, come, sit down with your family, make kiddush, invite God to your table, then you're, you're meeting with God. So the Mu'alim are so happy because it's a meeting with God. It's always good when you meet with God. And here's the secret. Anytime you have a meeting with God, it's your lucky day. No matter what's on the agenda. If God's calling to your meeting, if God's calling you to a meeting, it has to be good because that means I'm still on his radar. He's still dealing with me. He didn't, he didn't abandon me. Now on Pesach, on the agenda is, I love my nation, you're unbelievable, blessings for everybody, gifts for everybody, uh, please celebrate, no work for anybody, everybody must take off, and you must eat meat, and you must drink a lot of wine, and you must be at, oh, that's a great meeting, I love it. Orders, orders of God, by God's, by God's law. On the Shabbat, we have a meeting also, we have to sit around the conference table, and God says nobody can sit in chairs today, a different meeting, the agenda is, uh, it's not such a good agenda for you. And he starts to read to us, and this is what you did, and you did that over there, and we got a problem over there, and I had to destroy the temple. But it's a state of the union in order for us to move forward. But when you walk out of Chambay, you say, listen, as bad as the day was, we had a meeting with God. No less than Pesach, no less than Kippur. It's a Mo'ed. The content of the meeting? Ah, not so good. Not, you know, you come at some meeting and say, oh, that was a, what a headache that meeting was. And that's what the Shabbat's meeting is. But at the end we come out and say, you know what? At least we have a plan. We have a plan. If we're still meeting in the boardroom with the CEO, that means we still have a plan. I have to fix this, you have to fix that, and so on and so forth. So therefore, in truth, when the prophet was telling us about Tishabi'ad, he was telling us, and even with all this, the chairman of the board is going to call a meeting, and we're going to have to work it out, and we're going to have to figure out how to save the company. So, okay. So therefore... It's simha, although the content might not make us elated. <coughs> but simha again is, we're going in the right direction. And that's the abilut of, 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 of Tisha Be'ab. The abilut of Tisha Be'ab is the silver lining in it. 
God could have said, that's it, good luck to you. The company is bankrupt, you're on your own, I'm going back up, and good luck to all of you. Then we're in trouble. The fact that after 2,000 years of Galut, and he's still calling us for meetings? <laughs> still calling us for meetings, okay, but... Now, the Goim are not getting called for that meeting. When you come to the door, you gotta show your credentials. You don't have to, you don't have to show your vaccination card, you have to show your credentials. Are you you're Jewish? You're part of the nation? You're fasting? Yeah, Baruch Abba, come, I want to talk to you. No, I'm eating and I'm celebrating the Shabbat. You're not part of the meeting. You're in trouble. You're in bigger trouble. This guy thinks because he's eating on the Shabbat, he's happy. He doesn't know what trouble he's in. <laughs> you're disinvited from God's meeting. You're not on the guest list. And God says, listen, every, every meeting has a dress code. Today the dress code is everybody has to show up in sneakers. Everybody has to show up uh, hungry stomach. You have to come up uh, scruffy and nobody could bathe. Uh, this is the meeting. And so you'll know exactly what we're going to come to talk about. But we have a plan. If God's running the meeting, if it's a more we have a plan. That's somehow. You understand the way we're learning it? It's a big difference. So it's not, it's not a somehow that's going to be shown outwardly like on Purim, by no means. But at least we say, if we're still doing this, you know, there's a, I'll leave you with this. There's a Shlah Kadosh. Shlah is the Shnei Luchot Abirit. His name wasn't Shnei Luchot Abirit, it's the name of the book. His name was Rabbi Horvitz. He's buried in Tiberias, right next to Harambam. The Shlah Kadosh. And uh, they once asked him, why isn't there mourning on Shabbat? Why can't, we, why can't a person mourn on Shabbat? In Avilut Shabbat. For the Beit HaMikdash, tomorrow's the Shabbat. Why don't we say, Shabbat, the day falls when it falls. That's it, falls on Shabbat, we gotta do it. No, he said, no, no, in Avilut Shabbat. Why not? Kippur we make on Shabbat, so it's not like you can't fast on Shabbat, we fast on Shabbat. Yeah, but Kippur is not Avilut. Kippur, we're not mourning anything. Shabbat is mourning the temple. That cannot be done on Shabbat. And I always thought because, uh, you know, it's bad, sad. You know, you don't want to be sad on Shabbat. But he says no. He says because... What's the first thing you do when you want to build a building? So let's raise money. We know that. We raise money. We know that. Oh. You have to break ground. Destruction is always the prerequisite to construction. When it's groundbreaking, you're breaking the ground, so you're building. Well, you're breaking the ground. We want to build, we have to break. Soter aminat nivnot. Which is a lesson in life. You can't just build the building unless you break something first. The breaking, once you break the ground, then everybody's collapsed. What are you clapping for? You just broke the ground. Oh, now we're ready. We can build a big building over because we broke the ground. The day of the destruction is groundbreaking. Literally. And from that day on now, we have a goal. We have to rebuild the third Beth Mikdash. And the day that we start rebuilding the third Mikdash is the day that we broke ground on the second Beth Mikdash, where we destroyed it. That's already, we have a project now, we have a purpose, we have something to, something to go towards. Says the Shlach Kadosh. And there's something 
you're not allowed to do on Shabbat. You're not allowed to build on Shabbat. Binyan is asur b'Shabbat. And that's why you can't mourn on Shabbat. Because the mourning of Jerusalem is construction, which is forbidden on Shabbat. En avelut b'Shabbat, because en binyan b'Shabbat. You're building foundations. You're building barrier walls. You're building pipes underground. You can't do that on Shabbat. And binyan b'Shabbat. So it is a it is a silver lining into it. And that, and that will explain how Yibiyah can give this doom and gloom speech. But ultimately, he's enough b'Simha to get the, uh, the communique. And that's a... Uh, a lesson for us. We're, we're not just involved ourselves in something that's commemorative. If somebody will come along and say, oh, 2,000 years ago, enough, get over it. No, no, no. Tisha B'Av is not a day of the past. It's a day of the future. We're doing something that is preparing and therefore we come one step closer. And that's why the rabbis tell us that all these days of the fast days are going to become holidays when Mashiach comes. I had a simple question. Why do you have to make them holidays? Just push, don't do anything. Cancel them. By the way, if they would tell me, guess what? When Mashiach comes, there's no more Tisha B'Av. I'm in. I, 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 how much do I have to pay? Now, they tell me, no, not only is that going to be a fast, it's going to be a holiday. Uh, too much. I don't need it. I don't need to be a holiday. Get rid of it. I don't need it to be a holiday. Why, why, why do they have to tell us that the bad, sad days we are? Because they're coming to tell us, because that's why the better because of these days it is because of these days that we break and we fast and we that's what made them into holidays that's what makes them into the great days because we do avelut during these days so these days are intrinsically good it's just that they're going to be good in a different way instead of having to commemorate them in the negative way we'll commemorate them and but they were part of the purpose and that's my blessing uh, to our members uh, like Moshe Rabbeinu said, that we should uh, get to the success in life, where our lives become so successful and so big and so prosperous that we'll say to ourselves, I can't do this alone, I need more help, I need more uh, hands, I need more... You get to that level over there, you should say it yourself. And that echa should be an echa of jubilation, an echa of, of samhai, an echa of accomplishment, an echa of something that we, that we should be proud of. Will turn all these, uh, what should I say, bittersweet, bittersweet days. All it says is we lower the level of Simha, but it doesn't say we should be sad. We just lower the degree of Simha, but Simha is something that is always mandatory. We'll stop over here.